Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. My name's James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing, and Global Impact Venturing publications. Great pleasure to be back once again with Thierry Hellis. Thierry, welcome. Hello, Jim. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. The sun is shining, blossoms starting to come out. It feels like spring is springing, really, I suppose, which is always a, a good place to be uh, on a Friday, Friday afternoon. So what about yourself? How's tricks? Um, yeah, yeah, very good. As you said, it's 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 nice to have some sunshine. We've only had rain here for what feels like years at this point, so uh, actually seeing some blue skies is uh, is is quite refreshing. Well, that's always good, and hopefully the the news is kept pace with it. What have been the uh, the exciting stories of the past week? Then, well, the uh, well, I, w- I was going to say the biggest, but it's not the biggest by um, deal size, but it's probably the most interesting one, which is Waymo, which was again live in Alphabet Secretive Google X division many years ago but has now fully emerged as a standalone company, securing $2.25 billion from investors, including AutoNation, Magna International, and Alphabet itself. An amount it said only represents the initial close of its first external round. No word on valuation, but Morgan Stanley analysts estimated its value at $105 billion as of last September. What this means for Alphabet's other portfolio company, Uber, which is testing its own driverless car tech, remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, amazing amount of money. And if this is a first close and hugely impressive for Chevy House, the sort of and a new corporate development team over at Waymo. Obviously, John, as CEO of Waymo, has really sort of built a powerhouse unit from effectively from, from scratch under sort of what was Google, Google X. And now Chevy's uh, helped bring in a, a big wadge of cash to, uh, to, um, to help the sort of company expand. So it's a uh, Hugely impressive to see and uh, congratulations to them. And uh, I think one of the things that I found interesting was, you know, the sort of the consortium to pull together, obviously, big private equity firm, Silver Lake was one of the investors as well. And they had backed another of Google or Alphabet sort of spin out startup companies called Verily in life sciences. And effectively, they sort of repeated and uh, sort of put in a big watch of change into Waymo as well. But uh, if they obviously have to really sort of get cracking if they're going to deliver on that 105 billion potential valuation, which actually is a decline. It was a 40% decrease in what Morgan Stanley had expected Waymo to be worth before that. They had predicted a $170 billion valuation for a company with uh, with effectively no revenues as of yet. So uh, so these things cost a huge amount of cash and Alphabet decided to bring in some external people partly for the cash, but also I think for some of the expertise, AutoNation, Magna and, uh, and sort of Silver Lake together provide quite a diverse set of uh, investors who can probably help not just with the money but help help them find the customers uh, product development hiring people and uh, you know and take it from there but it's uh, really just shows that alphabet isn't just a one-trick pony with uh, with google it's uh, it's really got some powerful other uh, units under its sleeve yeah yeah it's quite uh, it's quite amazing and yeah as you said initial close it's uh, god knows how much money they'll end up with at the end of this yeah well, I mean, if you raise that amount of money to to get to a hundred billion valuation, I think the sort of the, the fly on the wall will be just to kind of work out how much the Silver Lake or Auto Nation or Magnum actually own of this. How much do they put in? And what stake do they uh, do they get into it? Obviously, if they've not revealed the sort of the enterprise value or pre or post money, and you know who owns what. But uh, you've got to presume they're still minority shareholders, and uh, Alphabet's keeping keeping a chunk of this but uh, as you say what it means for uber 
you know is yet to be uh, yet to be really sort of found out. Uh, obviously, relations between Alphabet and Uber really sort of uh, fell down in the past couple of years. Um, funny after former CTOs has become bankrupt at uh, Waymo, he left and apparently took some allegedly he took some trade secrets and uh, you know was sued by Alphabet and basically is bankrupted himself because he couldn't afford a hundred million plus fine that uh, that he was given. So uh, so anyway, it's all. Uh, you know, it's all still probably a bit sensitive between you know Waymo and uh, and Uber, but uh, but uh, both of them are still going uh, gangbusters for uh, for this driverless car tech. So uh, someone's going to benefit at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, and whoever pulls it off will be will be a very rich person. So yeah, or company, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably some individuals as well. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> When we came to funds, we have insurance providers Aflac, Sumitomo Life, and Nürnberger, which have contributed to the $90 million initial close of an insurance technology-focused fund being raised by UK-based VC firm Anthemis. Founded in 2010, Anthemis now has more than $500 million in assets under management and more than 100 portfolio companies in the fintech space, about a third of which are insurance-related. The fund is expected to reach a final close later this year, according to Reuters. Aflac invested through its CVC unit, Aflac Global Ventures, and fellow insurer Dido Life Insurance Company is involved with the fund as an associate. Anthemis Insurance Venture Growth Fund 1, as it's called, will invest in later stage insurance tech businesses beyond the traditional pre-seed to Series B remit of earlier Anthemis funds. Yeah, obviously, uh, congrats to Anthemis for uh, being able to get this sort of multi-corporate backed insurance fund off the ground and uh, at a good size as well so uh you know it's a really interesting space actually it's one of the things that i've always found really interesting at the moment in terms of how the sort of fintech industry and particularly insurance companies starting to respond to you know not just the different challenges how people want to receive their sort of insurance and you know how they pay the premiums but also you know as a business model it was always kind of get the money in and, and then you potentially have to repay it later but what do you do with those premiums in the interim how do you invest that and that was obviously the source of warren buffett's berkshire hathaway sort of holding company and you know and then it's expanded out and now he's spent more time investing in industrial companies you know so it's kind of interesting if you think about capital markets more broadly and in particular how companies have increasingly valued through intangibles you know effectively things like goodwill or their ip or intellectual property and various other bits and pieces versus more tangible you know you have a factory you need insurance to in case it gets burned down or it can't operate or whatever it might be how do insurance companies handle that sort of different uh, different risks different profiles of of businesses which are fundamentally a lot more digital really and uh, a lot different um applications and uh, service orientated than sort of physical infrastructure and i think you know the sort of capital markets is still trying to get its head around the sort of risk and value you know not just in insurance but more broadly across you know a whole set of different uh, parameters or paradigms and so uh, so i think you know i think this fund could be interesting narrowly on insurance but more broadly i think there's some a host of different things that we'll be talking about at the global corporate venture symposium on the 3rd and 4th of june in london with munich reventures the world's biggest reinsurers co co-chair of, of that on you know what's happening on the capital sides of uh, capital market side of the uh, risk value return and and then with bp ventures as the other co-chair much more on a sort of physical atom based economy with things like the energy transition and how value and change is happening there so i think between the two 
we're honoured and delighted to have um, to have them sort of co-chair this. But uh, I think it's a fascinating space. So yeah, thanks, Jerry. Good spot. Equinix has closed the acquisition of bare metal automation technology provider Packet, initially announced in January. Purchase price came to $335 million. And the deal comes in the wake of just $36 million in funding. That is good news for SoftBank, which led Packet's Series A round, in addition to fellow corporate investors, Dell Technologies Capital, J.A. Mitsui and Samsung next. Yeah, obviously, yeah, great exit uh, to get through. I mean, obviously, the markets uh, have uh, been on the ropes the past couple of weeks as uh, as investors take stock of the coronavirus and what the impact might be on the economy. So getting some exits under your belt um, is probably a good thing. I know a lot of uh, companies were trying to sort of sell off as much as they could last year in terms of some of their holdings or get things IPO'd and away and uh, this one's just uh, probably got through as well so good company equinix got a good asset in many ways but i think it's going to be harder to value things for the next few weeks uh, just as people take stock and say what's happened to the economy so uh, we might expect a, a bit of a slowdown in terms of some of the MA going forward unless it's super defensively positioned and then when it came to crossover news, and there's actually been quite a few of those, so we'll get to more in a minute, but the biggest one was Element Science, which has raised a sliver over $145 million in a Series C round that included GV, which was listed as an existing investor. Element is the developer of a wearable defibrillator for cardiac patients transferring from hospital to their home. The round was co-led by Deerfield Healthcare and Quiming Ventures Partners USA, and it boosted Element's overall funding to at least $183 million. Interestingly, the company's founder, president, and CEO is Uday Kuma, an adjunct professor in bioengineering at Stanford University. And if the name rings a bell, he previously founded iRhythm Technologies, the developer of Arrhythmia Diagnostics Technology that won a Gov Award for Exit of the Year in 2017, and whose stock has nearly quadrupled since its IPO to give the company a current market cap of $2.6 billion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously hats off to Uday and uh, being a serial sort of founder. I think the company is probably going to be a unicorn in element science now or there or thereabouts. And obviously, given the success of iRhythm, you know, he's uh, got a, a who's who of investors wanting to follow him. And um, so it's uh, perhaps no surprise to see Google Ventures or GV as it is now um, sort of in the round, uh, having earlier backed them. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I find this really interesting, actually, I, I kind of... Um, had a look if there were two deals done basically or announced at the same same time one was Novartis big drugs company investing in a 100 million plus round company that small molecule to kind of help support things like a fibrosis you know basically lumps growing in you and um, you know and it was a classic you know classic corporate venture in healthcare type of deal where you know sort of Novartis partners with them promises to take on any drugs developed and then they invest in the round and provide more funding to enable the company to go through the sort of various FDA's regulatory challenges that would go on. And then something which is more med tech orientated, which has historically had a lot less attention given to it by corporate ventures, particularly from the sort of healthcare space like Boston Scientific and Medtronic and people like that were big investors in the area, but relatively little compared to the drugs space. And now what we're seeing is some of the big tech companies are trying to apply the knowledge that they have of how to sort of iterate and develop platforms that can then sort of develop new things and, and do this. And 
Google, obviously, given its search engine success, is uh, you know is kind of taking a lead in in supporting element science and applying effectively you know, what would be considered more of an information technology or an IT approach to something which is much more regulated, you know, in the healthcare space and trying to get that crossover. So I think it's crossover in more ways than one. It's a crossover from corporates and VCs and others supporting a, a university scientist and, you know, expert, you know, serial entrepreneur, but it's also a crossover in showing quite how much tech companies are trying to find their niche and rhythm in terms of uh, in tackling uh, a whole new space, you know, not just uh, not just in terms of uh, driverless cars, but also in medtech and healthcare. It's quite funny that I'm guessing you were referring to um, Pliant Therapeutics, the uh, Novartis-backed uh, fibrosis company, which is actually also based on university research that came out of UC San Francisco, also a crossover in, in, in that way as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's just a really different sort of approach, you know, that sort of drugs company taking stake in a startup. You know, this stuff takes forever in many ways to get out and actually develop a drug that can you know be tested. And it's usually really narrowly focused, obviously, for right reasons. You know, if you're trying to develop a drug, it's got to work and you've got to make sure it goes through. But it could take decades and billions of dollars in many cases to get to that point. So you need those big pharma to, to come in and support it. Whereas in medtech, which has had relatively little money, people have been a lot more concerned about whether you can get it to work. And then secondly, you know, whether there are issues about basically implanting stuff in people's bodies. You know, big tech companies are saying, we think we've got an edge here. And we think if you can get it to work, we could create a platform that can then do other things. Like Apple, for example, with its Apple Watch, it was a piece of hardware. It's a watch on your wrist. But they went for regulatory approval, for, you know, FDA approval passed in September 2018 from memory. And um, now Apple sells more watches than the entirety of Switzerland's analog watch industry. It's just a really different approach, basically disrupting an analog industry and watches, but using a healthcare approach to give it an edge and give it something that uh, that can then do and then become a platform that could do other things. And Google's obviously coming at that whole similar space about healthcare monitoring you know, hearts and rhythms through basically a wearable in a different uh, different way. So, you know, just this sort of crossover and innovation that's happening is uh, it's really good. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think most of the incumbents in the healthcare space are, are underestimating what the disruption is going to mean for them longer term. And that's, you know, unless they, uh, unless they sort of, uh, yeah, some of obviously thinking about it quite heavily, like GlaxoSmithKline did an electrical thing, but, uh, but in general, I think they've kind of underestimated how sophisticated the big tech companies will be at getting through regulatory approval, given their sort of the, the amount of money that they they can use to pay the government and politicians. Cool. So sounds a good set of uh, big news. Good crossover one. What's been more news and briefs, uh, Jerry? Well, news and briefs actually starts with the uh, the biggest number of the of week, which is Baker Xiaofang which was reported in December to be mulling over an initial public offering to raise up to a billion dollars. But the online property rental platform had apparently raised more than $2.4 billion in a Series D plus round, punctuated by a $1 billion investment from SoftBank. The round also featured existing investor Tencent and valued the company, which is also known as K.com, in excess of $14 billion. And Quibi is gearing up for the launch of its short-form online streaming platform next month and has closed $750 million in new financing from undisclosed new and existing investors. 
the funding took Quibi's overall equity financing to $1.75 billion, the company having previously revealed Alibaba, Sony, 21st Century Fox, Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, Entertainment One, and Winder Co. among its backers. Immunicore has completed a $130 million Series B round that included Wushi Aptek's corporate VC fund and existing investor Eli Lilly. A media report in September suggested the round was set to value the immuno-oncology molecule developer, a spin-off from Medigene, at about $625 million. That sounds good until you factor in the reported $1 billion valuation at which it last raised money through a $320 million Series A in 2015. When I say Immunocort was spun off from Medigene, it was spun off from Medigene in 2008, but that was to commercialise aspects of Avidex technology, the latter having been spun out of University of Oxford in 1999. A sister company, Adaptimmune, which has already gone public, was formed concurrently to market other Avidex assets. Novartis Venture Fund and Partners Innovation Fund have taken part in a $105 million Series B round for Aquos, which is developing precision genetic medicines to combat hearing loss. Both participated as existing backers, Novartis having been an investor since the company's $7.5 million seed round three years ago. Immuno-oncology continues to be a strong area of life sciences, with Acrevia Therapeutics having closed a $100.5 million Series B round announced alongside its rebranding to Zilio Therapeutics. The round was led by Takeda Ventures and included three more corporate venturing subsidiaries of pharmaceutical firms, M Ventures, Ipsen Ventures and MRL Ventures fund. The aforementioned Pliant Therapeutics, a US-based fibrosis therapy developer based on research at UC San Francisco, has raised $100 million in a Series C round led by pharmaceutical firm Novartis. VC firm Third Rock Ventures formed Pliant in 2016 to advance research conducted at UCSF by Professors Dean Shepard, Bill DeGrado and Hal Chapman, together with Associate Professor Bradley Bucks. The company has now raised $207 million altogether. Thought Machine has created a cloud banking platform intended to comprehensively replace legacy banking IT systems. Its customers include Lloyds Banking Group, which has also participated in the company's $83 million Series B round, making it the latest UK-based fintech developer to raise substantial funding. It's channeling the capital into its ongoing international expansion efforts, which is currently focused on the Asia-Pacific region. Pan-based lithium-ion battery developer APB has raised $74.4 million in funding from investors including Keio Innovation Initiative, a joint venture capital vehicle for Keio University and securities brokerage Nomura Holdings. Industrial Mining and Petroleum Group JXTG Holdings took part through its subsidiary JXTG Innovation Partners, while coal chemistry technology provider JFE Chemical, construction firm Obayashi Corporation, textile manufacturer Teijin, and industrial technology producers Nagasi & Co. and Yokogawa Electric invested directly. The company was founded in October 2018 through a partnership between Keio Innovation Initiative and Keio University professor Hideki Horie. And quantum commuting technology developer Rigetti Computing is well on its way to its next round, having accumulated $71 million for a targeted close of $83.9 million, according to a securities filing. The company's now disclosed a total of $190 million in funding and its earlier backers include Bloomberg Beta, which invested in its $24 million Series A round. Funds, we have one more here. It was a fairly quiet week on funds, actually. Mandatum Life, the insurance subsidiary of financial services group Sampo, has contributed to the $32.6 million first close for an insurance technology-focused fund formed by Finland-based VC firm Innovestor. 
B2B Industrial Technology Fund has an expected ceiling of 100 million euros, and its other limited partners include unnamed institutional investors, family offices, and individual backers. It expects to begin investing as early as the second quarter of 2020. So next month, essentially. Looking at exits, here we have Accolade, the developer of a digital concierge designed to help users navigate the healthcare benefit system, which has filed for a $100 million IPO that will give corporate backers Comcast, Humana, McKesson Ventures and Independence Health Group the opportunity to exit. The company's raised more than $194 million in financing since it was founded in 2007. Auric Pharmaceutical is the latest oncology therapeutics developer to file for an IPO and is targeting $86.3 million. Tayo Memorial, Sloan Kettering, Cancer Center and Hartford Healthcare are in line for exits, having all contributed to a $55.7 million Series D round last August that pushed Oryx's total funding past $175 million. And artificial intelligence chip developer Cambricon Technologies has applied to list on Shanghai Stock Exchange's star market in an IPO that will give corporate backers Alibaba, Lenovo, Zonki, Tooling, Century, Beijing Technology and iFlytech a chance to exit. The company has raised at least $200 million in funding and was valued at $2.5 billion in its last round, a Series B in 2018. Finally, comings and goings, UK-based financial services and insurance provider Legal & General has named Jason Fitzpatrick, Managing Director of Principal Investments for its corporate venturing arm, LNG Capital. Mika Humo has joined Finland-based oil provider Helen as Director of its corporate venturing unit and will set up a fund focused on energy transition. Helen Ventures hired Humo last month after nearly seven years spent at local energy utility Fortum, most recently as Head of External Venturing. Rajesh Swaminathan, formerly head of Applied Ventures, the corporate venture capital arm of semiconductor manufacturing technology provider Applied Materials, has joined venture capital firm Kosler Ventures. And Amrish Rao has left his position as head of fintech ecosystem partnerships and investments at India-based payment technology provider PayU to join commerce services provider Pine Labs as CEO. Ross Kimball, former head of co-working space provider WeWork's startup services arm, has joined Silicon Road Ventures a US-based VC fund focused on early-stage startups in commerce and retail technology. And Pingping Mao, also known as Shirley, has been promoted to executive director and head of overseas investments at China-based consumer electronics producer Xiaomi. Mao had previously spent nearly three years as head of India investments at Xiaomi. Daniel Malandrin has left Brazil-based financial services firm Radesco and its corporate venture capital arm Innovobra Ventures and joined big data technology provider Semantics Brazil. AJ Chaudhuri has been appointed non-executive chairman of the board at Cambridge Enterprise, the TTO of University of Cambridge. Chaudhuri has been with the London branch of BCG Digital Ventures, the corporate venturing and incubation arm of consulting firm Boston Consulting Group since 2015 as a partner and managing director. Paula Sorrell, director of University of Michigan's Economic Growth Institute, is set to become George Mason University's Associate VP of Innovation and Economic Development from May 1st. Sorrell's intrate will include supervising George Mason's Office of Tech Transfer, along with its Enterprise Center and Innovation Exchange. Luke Sebi has joined Northern Illinois University in the newly created post of Director of Innovation Partnerships and Tech Transfer. His responsibilities include forging NIU's entrepreneurial links to external partners and supervising its Innovation and Collaboration Center 71 North. And finally, Linnea Lindau has stepped down as CEO of Chalmers Ventures, the university venture fund and incubator of Chalmers University of Technology. 
which has been replaced in an interim capacity by Gunnar Fernström as the board launches its search for a permanent replacement. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that, Thierry, and uh, good to catch up and uh, obviously hopefully catching up with everyone over the next week. But uh, thanks. That's all for me. And that's all for me as well. We'll speak to you again next Monday. Goodbye, everyone. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.